0: everyone to Conversations in Cybersecurity. I'm Tim Erlen, your host. Many years ago, I read the book The Design of Everyday Things, and there was something from that book that really stuck with me. Most of the problems that happen between a user and an object are not the user's fault. They're just badly designed objects. I was reminded of this lesson when I came across a paper from NIST titled Users Are Not Stupid, Eight Cybersecurity Pitfalls Overturned. Usability in cybersecurity isn't talked about enough, so I asked Julie Haney, the paper's author, to join me for a conversation. Julie is a computer scientist and the Usable Cybersecurity Program Lead for the National Institute of Standards and Technology. She has actually spoken on this topic before, including at the RSA conference in 2022. So welcome, Julie, and thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks, Tim. I'm really excited to be here.
0: So I wanted to start with just a little bit of understanding about why you've chosen to research this particular topic, usability and cybersecurity. What, what is it about it that, that interests you?
1: Yeah, so I mean, this really kind of stemmed from my own awakening about um, the importance of the human element and, and usable security. Um, so I started my career as a cybersecurity practitioner, um, and I worked as one um, for many years, and um, I did vulnerability assessments. So, we would go to different organizations and find all the vulnerabilities we could on their network and then give them recommendations on how to fix those. Um, I developed a lot of security guidance. And, um, you know, most of my time as a practitioner was really spent trying to convince people to adopt security mitigations. And along the way, um, I I very quickly and early on learned that there's a lot of reasons why people and organizations don't always adopt these, you know, quote unquote security best practices. And many of those have nothing to do with, you know, whether the technology exists or can even do the job. Um, And most of them are related to the human element. Um, And by that, I mean these kind of individual human factors, social factors um, that can impact security adoption and how that human element interacts with the technology. Um, So things like, oh, go ahead, did you have a question?
0: No, no, go, please finish.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Um, So things like um, poor usability of security technologies and processes, um, people having um negative experiences and perceptions of security or being confused by it. Um, organizational security culture issues are another big thing. Um, so as I was observing all of this, I developed a curiosity to learn more about that human side of cybersecurity. Mm. Um, really towards you know working to help people and organizations, first of all, be more secure but second of all, have a more satisfying and comfortable experience with cybersecurity. Um, So I ended up going back to school to study human-centered computing. And since then, I've been doing uh, research related to usable cybersecurity or um, what we're actually moving toward calling human-centered cybersecurity um, because it goes beyond just usability to more broadly looking at people's Perceptions and relationships and behaviors with security. Um, so, so it came out of my my own experience, and um, it's just it's kind of like a second career for me at this point.
0: So, in that previous experience as a practitioner, were you primarily presenting those results and having those conversations with uh, you know other cybersecurity folks or with with end users who we were trying to you know uh, I'll say you know, business leaders who you were trying to convince to adopt, um, security controls?
1: Both. Um, so, so definitely with the, with the security practitioners themselves. So we would, um, have a lot of interactions with, um, like the administrators, for example, mm-hmm. um, and you know, the, uh, the security staff, but there would always be a point where we would give a presentation to, and we were ultimately ri- writing our reports for, the decision makers in the organization. Right. Um, so those that you know would make the decisions about what resources were expended to to you know fix all of the the problems that we found.
0: I, I it's interesting because I've I've always I've always felt like cybersecurity organizations you know within a company they, they should have a you know a marketing person on staff because so much of of successful you know cybersecurity execution is actually about communication. But I, I hadn't really thought about it as not communication but but usability as a as sort of a broader a broader way to think about it. That's a, an interesting interesting change in my own thinking maybe.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I mean usability can apply to a lot of different things. So it's not just kind of sometimes we think about usability and we think about like a web interface or the interface to like software or something, but it can also be as you said in communications, right? Um, Communications can be usable or unusable um, if they're not tailored to the audience, if they're not in language that's understandable to them. Um, usability can be a, a process, so it's not necessarily a specific, you know, interface or a tool, but it's a process yeah. that you have to follow.
0: I think we've probably all experienced an unusable process at some point in our lives. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and maybe that that has something to do with that shift towards, you know, the, talking about it as as human centered cybersecurity because I, I think that. That's a i. that's a better way to describe what mm-hmm. the approach is as far as I can I understand it so far. Yeah. So why do you think that this type of research is is important for you know the industry as a whole?
1: Yeah. Um because I you know technology alone can't solve the problems that we're facing today in oh, cybersecurity. We're
0: doing so well so far.
1: <laughs> we so many yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I mean Ultimately, we need everyone to do their part. Um, We need everyone to recognize that they have some kind of responsibility in cybersecurity. And that includes, like, you know, the non-cybersecurity experts. Um, And to really involve people, though, they need to feel that they are valued and they're capable. Um, that they can be part of the solution and they're not just part of the problem. Um, so that was really one of the motivations behind, um, you know, this whole users are not stupid, the article and the presentations that I've given is is kind of really exploring how, you know, security practitioners, you know, not, not from malintent, but there's these kind of attitudes or misconceptions that are kind of perpetuated within the community that, users are the weakest link. We hear this all the time, right? Users are the weakest link. Um, You know, I've heard more times than I care to admit, oh, users are stupid. They don't know what they're doing. If we could just get rid of users, everything would be secure. But we're not gonna get rid of the users, right? I mean, cybersecurity is designed to, to protect people and for people and is used by people and has consequences on people. And so we need to make sure that all of the stakeholders and the people that are impacted by this can do their part. Um, and that they feel confident in their abilities, right? That they, and to do that, we need to give them information that they understand. We need to give them um, solutions that are usable for them that don't cause too much burden on them. Um, You know, we have to communicate things in the language that they understand. And if we don't do that, and we don't always do a good job of that now, then, you know, we have people um, you know, doing less secure workarounds or just not bothering or thinking that they're not responsible at someone else's job.
0: So there, to be clear, there are eight pitfalls that you talk about in this, this paper. And I, I want to talk about just two of them. And I, we've mm-hmm. already sort of bridged into the first one, which is, you know, pitfall number one, assuming users are, are stupid and hopeless mm-hmm. or hopeless. Yep. And, uh, you know, you reminded me of the, the, the acronym that I've seen come up a number of times in my my career in both IT and, and security, which is PEPCAC, you know, problem between keyboard and chair, which <laughs> yeah. is a, a handy way of saying it's the user's fault. Um, and I, I'm, you know, you had a bunch of anecdotes that you said about, you know, hearing that mm-hmm. users are, are stupid or that it, they're the weakest link. Mm-hmm. and I've seen all of that stuff. Besides those anecdotes, did you find that there's there's data or or evidence, something more than just the stories that, that sort of demonstrates that this is a significant pitfall?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, so actually, so in my RSA talk, I, I, had eight pitfalls and then in the article that I wrote, I actually condensed those down to six, uh. um, cause some of some of them were, were related. Um, and the article actually, um, has a lot of citations to, um, evidence and research that backs that up. Um, so it's, it's really based on, um on evidence from a lot of different sources. So some of it it, are research sources, so my own research or the research Mm -hmm. of some of my NIST colleagues, but also um, this great pool of research in the usable cybersecurity community. Um, I also brought in um, some um, industry reports um, and some examples of things that happened in the real world when the human element wasn't considered. Um, so it really pulls in a lot of that. So, again, kind of beyond the anecdotes. Yeah. Um, and, I, oh, go ahead. I,
0: I love that because I think, I think putting some data behind this this, uh, this pitfall is really important. That it's not just that, you know, intuitively it seems like, you know, treating users as the weakest link or calling them stupid is, is a bad idea. It, it actually is evident, you know, there's evidence that it's impactful in a negative way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, researchers have looked at it from from kind of two angles. They've looked at it from the angle of security professionals themselves. Um, So, you know, I've done some work, uh, some research with with security professionals. And this is something that has come up time and time again, um, where they talk about, you know, there's this really unhelpful attitude that we see not with everyone. Again, this is not Mm -hmm. like a blanket statement at all. Um, but you know, it, it crops up um, that this that this is a problem. Um, you know, there's a lack of empathy for kind of the end users, and and that and that's a problem as well. So there's been you know people who have looked at it from that perspective, but also, well, what's the impact that it has on you know the quote unquote users? So the the, the non-expert people that are using um, using cybersecurity technologies and having to do these processes. And, um, you know, my some colleagues in my own group did some research a few years ago with um, just kind of general public users, and they identified that there was this strong um, sense of security fatigue, they called mm. it, um, and it's this sense of resignation and weariness and frustration and loss of control when people interact with cybersecurity. Um, and, so, you know, they may feel it's it's not their responsibility, it's someone else's responsibility, or these cybersecurity things that pop up are, are very disruptive, they can be very burdensome, um, it can be very confusing and overwhelming to someone that's not an expert in this. And so we see how some of these negative attitudes can just contribute to user's sense of like the security fatigue and frustration and loss of control and it doesn't matter what I do I'm not good enough to do anything so why bother
0: is that is that fatigue associated specifically with interacting with security practitioners or security controls or is it associated with the technology in general and the the sort of sense that that no matter what I do I'm I'm ultimately going to be a victim I can't I can't materially improve my situation
1: I think it's, it's probably a combination of all of those things. Um, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's definitely people have mental models of um, some technologies that are there, that can be very mature, that they really understand kind of how things work. Maybe not at the, at the deepest level, but they, they generally understand. But cybersecurity can be kind of mysterious to people. Um, they may not always understand the risks or the implications of their actions. Um, and I think also we're living in this world where, um, we have get, we, you know, our, a lot of our personal information is like, you know, quote unquote out there already. And so, right. And so people kind of think, well, you know, you know, is there anything I can do about it? Like I, you know everyone already knows everything about me is is there you know is it even worth doing anything or they they often have kind of these cognitive biases where um so for example they might suffer from the optimism bias where they think well you know things probably won't happen to me like no one would want to target me i'm not interesting enough um so there's a lot of different factors i think that 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 uh, that uh, that impact those attitudes
0: that makes me think of the 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 warning that often comes with financial services products past performance is no indication of future returns yeah, the fact that, yeah that you haven't been you haven't been a victim already it doesn't mean that you won't be in the future
1: exactly and and does it mean that you haven't been and you just don't know it
0: yeah that's certainly true i mean as you said the likelihood that your information has been compromised already is is fairly high but that the one of the things that i've always found troubling or difficult to explain to to people is that the, the consequence of that compromise may not happen immediately. And it may not happen in a way that you can connect it to the actual compromise either. So it's very difficult for people to make an association between a behavior or a choice they made, and the impact of that choice, six, nine, 12 months later.
1: Exactly. I mean, I think that's one of the the challenges in cybersecurity, um, in general, is the lack of kind of tangibility, um, you know, it, it can be very abstract, um, whereas we look at something like health, right, is like much more tangible. Like I like can can often more um, accurately link, you know, I, I have this health status because of this. Um, yeah. And that's not the case in, in cybersecurity at all. And, and so people might not be as motivated to take action, as you said.
0: Yeah. And so I think, I mean, if there's a sort of an actionable takeaway from that, it's that as practitioners, if you're if you're trying to you know get your users to behave in a certain way, being drawing that tangible link for them is is important. And in fact, you could probably go look at how healthcare has dealt with conditions where it's difficult to make that tangible link um, as a you know as a as a framework or as a way to, to to potentially improve that for cybersecurity as well.
1: Yeah, there's I think there's lots of lessons to be learned in um, in healthcare over the years. About um, kind of persuading people, communicating risk. Um, yeah, I think I think more yeah. of it needs to be applied to cybersecurity. That's-
0: it's a, a a little ironic because healthcare is one of the, the the industries that that has the the biggest challenges with cybersecurity. They're they're all often difficult yeah. to, yeah. to adopt new new controls and new technology, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's another pitfall that I wanted to explore a little bit, which was uh, pitfall number three: making users into insider threats due to poor usability. Mm-hmm. Uh, can can you explain what that pitfall means a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um. So so maybe if we we kind of talk about within a work context um so you have people they have a job to do um they're so they're like usually juggling multiple tasks um they're kind of you know they have time pressures and so when they come across um a security mechanism or a process or a, a tool that's unusable it increases the burden on them so they're they're already kind of weighed down by what they're supposed to be doing and now they have this extra burden that gets in the way of them doing their primary tasks Mm -hmm. um and so so what do people do to cope right um they um they're more likely to try less secure workarounds or just ignore yeah. They find a way um. You know. It. Yep. Exactly. Um. They can get frustrated. So we know, like, inside. You know, insider threats be, are often people that are disgruntled. So they get. They get frustrated. They might be more prone to, um. You know, not maliciously again, but just you know, making errors, um, making risky decisions because maybe they don't understand the implications or. Um, again it's so burdensome that they're just trying to, to you know do their job so they're just trying to figure out how to how to work around the things that are getting in their way um yeah that's interesting yeah. i mean i
0: the example that jumps to mind for me there is you know uh, i can't i can't open this attachment on my work laptop because I, I don't have the right application so i'm gonna forward it to my personal email and open it on a different device mm-hmm. mm-hmm. which now you know has has shifted whatever the the data in that attachment was outside of the the control of Of that organization yeah as an example
1: yeah absolutely and i think um you know we can't have a usable security conversation without mentioning passwords at least once um so you know complex password policies are another thing that um can result in like these less secure workarounds right so like you know kind of the uh you know people writing their passwords down or putting them in you know unencrypted files on their computer or using the same password across multiple accounts because we're asking people to do something that's really difficult for them to yeah. do and to maintain all of this, um, and so it ends up being less secure in the long run because we've put too much burden on people.
0: Well, and, and I, I think I think the push for more complex passwords may be one of the the most uh, I was going to say the biggest, but then I have to question my own statement there. One of the biggest mm-hmm. failures of, of cybersecurity as a whole because it pushed people to create you know one base password that they then you know alter every time they're forced to change it so that you actually had more password reuse in different ways um, and at the same time multi-factor authentication seems to be one of the most successful cybersecurity controls because it actually um, you know prevents there's there's clear evidence that it, it has prevented any any number of attacks mm-hmm. and and when done well it actually can be a, a smoother process for the, the the end user as well so interesting interesting mm-hmm. uh, juxtaposition there Mm-hmm. But I I want to call out that, you know, we've talked about end users in particular, and that's largely the focus of of the paper itself. Uh, But this idea of making users into insider threats due to poor usability, I feel like that has to apply to the security staff themselves as well. So when you talk about security vendors and the products that they produce, if they're not usable, you can end up with, you know, essentially turning the security staff into insider threats because they they have the same, they're human beings as well. They can experience fatigue, you know, alert fatigue. They ignore mm-hmm. the alerts uh, that they need to pay attention to. So it seems like we're, as security practitioners, we're not immune to these these pitfalls either.
1: Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, you know, having been a practitioner myself, that's um, a topic that's near and dear to my heart and, and things that I've looked into is kind of these unusable uh, solutions for um, the security staff. They're the ones that have to implement and administer the security solutions. Um, so if things are too difficult for them, they can make mistakes too, right? They could misconfigure something and that could end up opening up a vulnerability um, that could be exploited. Um, you know, we have, you know, when you talk about, you know, vendors designing tools, these tools have to accommodate security people at all different levels as well. So if you think about, you have some junior level people that might need a little more support, like a little more help built in the tool, a little more um, kind of scaffolding to kind of help them like make good decisions about things. And then you have experts who kind of want shortcuts because they don't don't need all that stuff. So you have to design these tools to be usable for a wide range of practitioners Mm. as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and, and like you said, like their decisions, their security decisions can perhaps be more, um, uh, consequential for an organization as compared to the end users.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, let's, let's wrap this up a little bit with, uh, I I'd like to ask you what you would like to see change about how the cybersecurity industry handles usability. You're in a position to, to do this research, to yeah. publish papers, mm-hmm. but. What would you like your impact to be if um if you could if you could direct that?
1: Yeah. um so first, I think um, i I you know I, I'm not expecting security practitioners to become experts in in this, right? Um, so part of this part of my job is to to translate some of this this research, right that that security practitioners just don't have the time to look into to translate that for them and to make it actionable for them. Um, But I think like just becoming aware of the human element and considering that from the very beginning, when you're, um, you know, when, when I say design process or development process, it's not just like a piece of software. It can be when I'm thinking about a process or a policy that I'm gonna be enacting on people. So understanding who are gonna be the users, who are gonna be impacted by this. Um, what are their needs, what are their constraints, what's their context of use, how, you know, what um, what challenges might they have with this and involving them in the beginning. Um, because, you know, as, as security people, and, and hopefully this is getting a little better, we always got really frustrated when security was just tacked on at the end, right? Yeah. That it wasn't built in from the beginning. Well, this is happening with usability. Um, is that it's just kind of tacked on at the end? Oh, we'll do some, you know, user testing at the end without considering. So first of all, is is you know considering that that you who's your who's your user from the very beginning? Um, and then I think um, I you know maybe this is a pipe dream, but I would love for the, kind of this human centered computing in general to be introduced more in our formal education curriculum. Um, so, if you think about, um, you know, computer science and IT and cybersecurity programs, they're very technology heavy, of course. Um, and some some programs may have like a usability or some kind of other human element type of course that they offer, but it's usually an elective. Um, and I think it needs to be required. Um, and and or incorporated into some of the other courses, right? So mm-hmm. if you take a software engineering course, introducing the concept of the user, knowing your user, usability testing, prototyping um, throughout the kind of the development process, whether that user is an end user or you know someone like yourself, like a like a, a an expert. Um, so so those types of things, and and I also want to, I think lastly for the people that are already in the workforce, um, who they're they're not gonna be going back to school, but having more professional development opportunities for them to become more aware of the human element and security, and also being open to bringing in um, folks that have um, backgrounds or are coming from diverse disciplines, that are more aligned with the human element, bringing them in to collaborate with security practitioners. Um, so, folk, like you mentioned communications. So involving the communications folks, um, involving psychologists and usability experts and user experience people. So it's a team effort. So it's not just the security practitioners on their own trying to make these decisions that impact users, but bringing in kind of a multidisciplinary team to look at the problem. Um, so th- those are my, those are my dreams.
0: I love all of those suggestions. I, I think they're all great, especially the the educational one. I think there's a, a multi-generational problem there of, you know, first uh, required courses, but then ultimately in- including that sort of human-centered approach throughout all of the other, uh, of the other courses that, that people take and mm-hmm. their-, their path there. That's great. Listen, Julie, I want to thank you for, for spending time. I thought it was a, a super interesting conversation um, and I appreciate you spending the time and I appreciate the research you're doing. I hope to see more of it.
1: Thanks so much, Tim.